They say diamonds are a girl's best friend, but not when they come with the threat of death. Weighing 45.52 carats, with a color of the deepest sapphire blue, the Hope Diamond is one of the most famous jewels in the world, but even more famous than the jewel itself is its reported curse. Holding a history rich in murder, tragedy, and agonizing death, the Hope Diamond has passed through numerous hands since its discovery in the Golconda Mines in southwest India nearly 400 years ago. From kings and famous socialites to the innocent mail carrier who delivered the diamond to her current abode, the stories revolving around this mysterious gemstone are the topic of several book and television documentaries. But what are the facts behind this reported Curse of the Hope Diamond? And is it indeed responsible for the horrific deaths of many of its unbelieving owners? Be sure to stay tuned till the end for this week's Musician Spotlight, featuring the band Electro Cult Circus. Thank you for joining us for this installment of the Supernatural Tendencies podcast. I'm Christy. And I'm Alex. And this is Episode 16, The Curse of the Hope Diamond. The infamous Hope Diamond started its legendary existence some 1.1 billion years ago, and even its discovery remains shrouded in mystery. Rumored to have been stolen from an idolic statue in an Indian temple by a thieving priest, the gemstone first made its way into history when it was bought, or possibly even stolen, by French gem merchant Jean-Baptiste Tavernier around 1666. Weighing in at a reported 115 carats, the original triangular-cut diamond known as the Tavernier Blue would be sold, along with a whopping 1,000 other large gemstones, to King Louis XIV in exchange for a title of nobility for Tavernier, who begins our sordid tale of death and dismemberment by being the first casualty, having been ripped apart by wild dogs shortly thereafter. After being slimmed down to a svelte weight of roughly 67 carats, the newly commissioned jewel received the title of the Blue Diamond of the Crown of France, or the French Blue. Set in gold with a ribbon that tied around the wearer's neck, the spectacular piece held seven facets with an emblazoned sun at the center. The sun, symbolizing King Louis, and the number seven, holding religious meaning for divinity and spirituality. In 1749, the king's grandson, Louis XV, had the diamond reset into a more elaborately crafted pendant that contained 200 smaller painted diamonds. Upon his death, his grandson, Louis XVI, husband to Marie Antoinette, inherited the piece where it stayed for quite a number of years. It was during the French Revolution that the entire king's family found themselves prisoners in the infamous Tower of London. And while their fate was sealed by the executioner's guillotine in 1792, the journey of the Hope Diamond was just beginning. After, of course, it was blamed for being the cause of the monarch's untimely demise. 
Having been stolen by thieves from the royal storage, the diamond, along with untold other riches, remained lost in history until 1812, when a strangely similar but 27 carats lighter stone made its appearance within days of the 20-year statute of limitation on the French blue expiring. A London diamond merchant named Daniel Ellison was recorded as being the owner of the hefty gemstone, although his means of acquisition remain unknown. From here, the blazing blue jewel is said to have reached the hands of Caroline of Brunswick, wife of King George IV. After his death in 1830, the whereabouts of the diamond is a little sketchy. Some reports detail that the jewel was stolen by the late king's mistress, Elizabeth Conyingham, while others claim it was sold through private channels to settle the king's enormous debt. The next confirmed owner of the stone, and in fact the namesake to its title, was a wealthy London banker named Thomas Hope, whose well-to-do family was prominent in the banking society. Hope reportedly paid $90,000 for the remarkable gemstone, which today would be the equivalent of $2.7 million. In 1839, a publication listed the diamond as part of a large collection owned by Henry Philip Hope, and when he died later the same year, it kicked off a 10-year battle between his three nephews over ownership. Ultimately, the eldest nephew acquired the jewel, along with most of his uncle's extremely valuable gemstone collection and he prominently displayed it at the 1851 Great Exposition in London, and also in the Exposition Universelle in Paris in 1855. The rest of the time, it was safely kept inside a bank vault, out of view from prying eyes. After Hope's death on December 4, 1862, his wife, Anne Adele, became the heiress to the cursed Hope Diamond and fearing that her squandering son-in-law would lose the valuable jewel upon her death, she bequeathed it to her youngest grandson, Henry Francis Pelham Clinton. While this generous inheritance seemed substantial, Clinton, or Lord Hope as he was now known, was the owner in title only. He was not permitted to sell or otherwise transfer ownership of the diamond without prior approval from the courts. In 1894, Hope became involved with, and subsequently married, a young concert hall songstress named May Yohi. Yohi was quite fond of wearing the reportedly cursed jewel during social events that the couple attended, and also during her esteemed performances. But the singing beauty's lavish neckwear soon found itself moving on down the line, after her husband's large debts forced them to press the courts for permission to sell it in 1896. Another wealthy London jeweler named Albert Wheel became the next owner and paid a reported £29,000 for the blue gemstone, £3.9 million in today's market. Wheel didn't have it long, though, selling the diamond to New York and London diamond dealer Simon Frankel to the tune of $250,000, $7.5 million today. During the Great Depression of 1908, Frankel found himself in financial straits and even referred to the jewel as hoodooed and blamed it for his strains and woes. Passing it off for a cool $400,000, $11.5 million today, to an unsuspecting Turkish diamond collector named Salim Habib in 1908, it wasn't long before the curse again reared its ugly head. Habib also experienced money problems and was forced to sell the stone in 1909 at auction. 
A Parisian jeweler named Simon Rosenau picked up the exquisite piece for less than half of its reported worth, and owned it less than a year before passing it on to Pierre Cartier in 1910. It was reported that Rosenau later took his own life by driving his automobile off a cliff, taking with him his wife and the couple's young child for reasons that will remain unknown. Next to Marie Antoinette, the diamond's next owner is one of the most recognized. Evelyn Walsh McLean was a Washington, D.C. socialite with a penchant for all things unnecessary and expensive. Although Walsh and her husband Ned initially decided against the vintage-looking piece, once set into a more modern setting by Cartier, the couple quickly said yes. Reports of the time hint at the Walshes potentially backing out of the deal after learning of the diamond's somewhat darkened past. But a negotiation was met at the tune of $8.1 million today, and in 1912, Miss Walsh unveiled the striking necklace at the social event of the year. Walsh made it a habit of bringing the dazzling blue stone out at parties and get-togethers, even pinning it to the couple's dog collar and hiding it for guests to find in a game called Finding the Hope. Walsh endured a long list of tragedies during the years that she owned the Hope Diamond, such as losing her nine-year-old son to an auto accident, a daughter to an overdose of sleeping pills, and having her husband cheat with another woman and later go insane. Walsh herself died of pneumonia in 1947, forever proclaiming that her bad luck and tortured life were due to the curse that surrounded the Hope Diamond. Walsh's will left her sizable estate evenly distributed among all of her seven grandchildren, after each reached the age of 25. But due to the large debts she left behind, Walsh's heirs received special permission from the courts to sell the diamond and her newspaper, the Washington Post, to settle the estate in 1949. A famous New York diamond merchant, Harry Winston, purchased Walsh's entire jewelry collection and spent the next 10 years displaying it on tour across the United States. The diamond even had a guest appearance on the game show the name's the same, in August of 1955, sharing the stage with a teenager named Hope Diamond. Winston was quoted as saying that he believed none of the legend and lore that was associated with the necklace and had never experienced any ill effects coming as a result of having owned the reportedly jinxed jewel. In 1959, a mineralogist from the famed Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History approached Winston with the idea of donating the esteemed jewel to the museum in hopes of establishing a national gem collection. Winston agreed to the donation and delivered the multi-million dollar gemstone to the museum in one of the most unusual, albeit unique, methods possible. By slipping it inside a well-padded plain brown envelope and mailing it, for a cost of a mere $145.29, including postage, the unassuming package was insured by the U.S. Postal System for $1 million, should it meet an untimely end or become misplaced. Once admitted into the archives, the Hope Diamond became known as item number 217868, and it's currently held nice and safe under the bulletproof glass. Winston died some 20 years later of a heart attack, never having fallen prey to the supposed curse that followed the stunning one-of-a-kind blue stone. But it's interesting to note that the unassuming mail carrier who delivered the jewel to the destination safe and sound had his leg crushed and a severe head injury in an auto accident soon after. And if that's not bad enough, his house also caught fire 
and burned to the ground. Since its induction into the esteemed museum, its legendary curse seems to have gone into a dormant state. Or is the curse in fact nothing more than a fanciful story, dreamed up to add value to the already staggeringly priced gem? We'll probably never be certain, but the allure and mystique surrounding this tale isn't going away anytime soon. again. You excited? Happy to be here. You're happy to be here? Happy to be here. Mm, it's just the smell of the studio. I'm not saying it's a good smell at all, but it's good to, <laughs> it's good to smell it again. It smells like being back in here and recording. I just peanut got, butter. Got back from vacation with the family. And whined about it the whole time. I did. The listenership knows how much I hate the heat. And it was supposed to be cooler down in Florida, and it was not cooler at all. In fact, it was 98 degrees with like a million and a half percent humidity. Mosquitoes. It was terrible. I don't know if there's mosquitoes. Oh. I didn't encounter any myself, but there were gators, and there were snakes. Well, that's worse than mosquitoes. Yeah. Hands down, gators beat mosquitoes any day. (laughs) In my book. They do. They do. Today, though, we have a very interesting topic. The Hope Diamond? The Hope Diamond. Can't you add a little bit of excitement to it? To to just the phrasing, the Hope Diamond? The Hope Diamond. I thought we did that a little bit in the narrative. Not really. You don't think we did? Uh-uh. Oh, dang it. Well. I mean, like, there's no, there was no buildup. There was no anticipation. Well, it had a long history of this quote-unquote curse. There was no... It does go back pretty far. There's no climax in it. 1666. That's creepy. Why is that creepy? 666. It's bad juju. What? Did they just have an entirely bad year because it was 600 or 1666? Probably. Like, I wouldn't have went out of my house. What about the year itself of 666? Still bad juju. Your chair's creaking. What are you doing with your chair? Yeah. Terrible. Dogs are whining around here. It's anarchy. It's anarchy. Okay, so he wants to be in the podcast. So the curse of the Hope Diamond kind of falls in with um, a bunch of other curses that we may know about. Some of you may have heard, right? Uh, Howard Carter and his discovery of King Tutankhamun's tomb in Egypt. Yeah, but see, like he didn't die right away. Like I think the common mis- misconception with that whole thing is like he died like within weeks. But it was like what was it like ten, fifteen years or something like that? I think it was like ten years. I don't know exactly when I think he it was died. Like ten years, I'm pretty sure. But then a bunch of other people too, yeah, died around that. And then the whole what was it, the power outage with the dog howling, and somebody died. I don't know about that one. There's like a whole thing where like the whole town, the power went out in the whole town, and like a dog started howling or something, and then somebody died or something like that. So that's like the whole lore behind that. Which with most of these curses, there have been like um. How do you answers, possible solutions to it? And that one, for that one at least, was the uh, the crypt mold or the crypt stuff. The crypt stuff. Yeah. The, the, is it the mold that, that 
Oh like, yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah. And then they opened Mold it. Mold spores and yeah. It, and then they, they inhaled all, it. Yeah. Yeah. So that one, that one was that. That one was well. Of not, course that yeah. One. Not so much a curse with that as it is, you know. It could be though. It could be a curse, King Tutankhamun. I mean, whatever. And then the other one that comes to mind, immediately just left my mind. And now I can't think of the other curse. I'm immediately thinking. just left my mind. <laughs> it literally got up and walked out of I ha- I the had studio. It. And then it slammed the door on the way out. <laughs> uh, can you think of any other curses? There's another big curse. You know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to think. Like you, put, you really put me on the spot there. Now I'm like, nope. Oh, James Dean's car. Oh, yeah. I was just reading a couple things. I mean, Duh. I knew about it before, but I was just kind of brushing up on it. The Little Bastard yeah. was the name of the car. Mm-hmm. I think with that one, though, like, yeah, come on. I mean, when you have, like, you know, five or six people like that directly, and they pretty much all died the same way. Oh, okay. You're, so with, it's, Yeah, with that one, come on. You think it's more believable than all the rest of them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, but I wouldn't own the Hope Diamond either. So, like, yeah. I, you know, if they were like, "Hey, Christy, do you, we're going to give this to you," I'd be like, "No, you ain't. No, you ain't. No, you can just keep it." So the idea of curses with with humanity is is not a strange thing. No, no. There are some items um, that acquire a certain reputation, and and sometimes it's not good. You know. Yeah. Um, the antithesis of that, of course, would be like what? What would be the opposite of a, cur- a cursed item, like a blessed item, like a some type of relic or something? Yeah. So you have this duality within the world and within history of having a really awesome blessing bestowing item. Then you also have the cursed, not good item. Yeah. So we have the Hope Diamond today. So uh, the Hope Diamond, obviously a geological formation that had happened, started happening a long time ago. And we see it pop up in in the jewel the jeweled form that we're gonna start seeing throughout its history in India. And one of the things we really didn't go into a lot in the in the narrative is first off, it, it comes from it comes from India, okay? And they initially had used it in like like a certain temple or whatever. I can't give you specifics on like what temple it was or what statue it was used on, but we can give you the mentality of how the the Indians view at least at that time how they view the jewels. And what they would do is is the idea of jewel cutting to them was very stringent and specific to the point that they wouldn't necessarily cut them into shapes. The only way or the only, the only reason that they would be cutting jewels and gems and stuff would be to cut big cracks out of them or to shave it just a hair. They wouldn't necessarily cut it into awesome, fantastically beautiful shapes. They would try to keep it as intact as possible because uh, the gods live through these things. The, the You can get good spirits and everything else through the gemstone and the and more you you shaved off or took away from the gemstone, then the less powerful that gem would yeah. be. So initially, the Hope Diamond would have been much bigger than than it was. And we kind of gave you that sense, gave the listener that sense um, in the initial carrot count. And I'm still confused as to what a carrot is. I don't know. It's a weight, I yeah, believe. But I don't know how much it is. Yep. But I did not go into that in research. And, and this is, that was me slapping my own hand on not doing the research on the carrot counts. But regardless, this diamond was huge. Yes, it was very huge. it was very large. And most likely uh put with a bunch of other very large and impressive diamonds. When we say impressive, most of us think of in the United States, most of us think of gems and jewels as being 
those cut, sparkly, having multiple faces to divert the light to sparkle kind of kind of thing. But with the original jewel in this case, most of them are going to not be very lustrous. Yeah. I'm not even sure if they polished them at all. I mean, you could clearly see the colors and you know that that is, you know, a sapphire or a ruby or something, but it's not going to be like the Aladdin style. Yeah. Oh, when you open up the door. What is it? Oh. So that's that's going to be the 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 biggest thing to take away from the early life of this Hope Diamond. So in theory, one could contribute this sense of ill will or curse if you will. Uh, with the cutting of the gem. Does that make sense? Oh, well, yeah. And stealing it. Yep. And right off the bat, we'll get off to this. We'll get off to the idea here because I want to kind of make this connection early on for everybody in that um, some people believe that the Curse of the Hope Diamond is just like a Victorian era made up story to help boost the value of the gem. And in Victoria, England, the English were really into Indian things. Yeah. There was a Really big spike uh, with interest in India being um, a colony of of England during that time. So anything Indian was really awesome. So the idea of uh, this gem initially coming from India, and uh, and the only the only little facet of the story that may fall apart with this whole encircling mentality that I want to to convey first would be I'm not sure if they knew it was from India, but I think they. Did overall, I think I believe so. Where it was yeah. from, so now you have this whole country that's that's just embroiled in interest in India. It's exotic. It's, it's oh yeah, and know, so up uh, up the value of it. Obviously, with this with this interest in India, you have an interest in the culture as well, and most likely this was conveyed to even the common people who may be interested in India at the time in England, and you could easily see this. Oh, we've taken something that we found interest in, and we've dealt with it in our means, in our way, and not the way that they would have done with it. So maybe we brought some bad juju. Definitely bad juju. So whether or not the story was made up, whether whether or not everything we talk about today, whether the curse was embellished a bit, the, the initial idea of the curse, especially as a Victorian creation, still wraps around to the idea that of the time England had great interest in the land of India and all things Indian. So obviously the the reverence for anything Indian could have made its mark on the Hope Diamond in, in that way in treating this curse as in we've disrespected the land that we're now interested in for the time being and in the way they handle things. So that was my first thought right off the bat. Uh, you know, a- a- another thing too, I didn't put it in here. Um, because there were kind of conflicting reports about it. But it is thought, it is rumored that the necklace also was uh, given to Marie Antoinette's, um, oh, what did they call them? Like her first lady servant or whatever you want to call it. Like handmaids or whatever? Handmaids, yeah. She she gave it to her favorite handmaiden when she was going to her beheading. And I forget what happened to the handmaiden. Like, I don't know why she would have given it to her, but there were reports that she did. And then some terrible, agonizing death also happened to the handmaiden. So obviously, too, right just before that with. And then Marie Antoinette, you know. Yep, with the French Revolution. So, yeah. Well, yeah, the whole family. Yep. And we've obviously skipped a few years in between, but the biggest point. Well, it, it was kind of lost for a while. Mm-hmm. It it And then uh, 
It oh, just, that's right. It yeah, did, it was, was kind was of lost, lost for it, there were a couple times in in its history that it kind of went lost, and no one really knows what exactly happened to it. And and then we come, then we come back with this big this big banger of the French Revolution. Yeah, or shor- shortly after it was found again, and from here on out, essentially, the Hope Diamond pretty traceable after that. And on top of that, within fairly wealthy hands, as well. So the occurrence of this curse being tied to wealthy people through an arguably unstable past 300 years wherever it happens to be whether or not you think that the the actual hope diamond is causing this instability is the real question is it not well yeah but i think it's it's super interesting to note how you know these people you know if you can afford to pay you know the equivalent of three to five um i think one was even 11 and a half million dollars you know just willy-nilly like oh here's money for a diamond you know not even for like a house or anything like that just for a diamond and you know i was thinking about that when i was reading the script initially is that you i have always heard this heard the saying of like what it's not even really a saying it's just kind of like a thought i guess with people who win the lottery becoming broke oh yeah and the idea that they pump so much money on a weekly basis into the lottery to win it to begin with kind of says a lot for their fi- financial mentality anyway yeah, and then so a it's year not surprising later, it's like oh well, wait a minute we're broke oh how did that happen yeah so this this kind of goes in the same vein i guess if you have a millionaire who's spending this much on a single diamond to have it in one case put on a dog's collar for fun. I know. Is okay, it, let's find the Hope Diamond. Is it really surprising that they lose all their money? But well, yeah, um, I know. Yeah, true. But you know, they were. Cons- I mean, we're talking it, an exorbitant amount of wealth here. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you can afford to pay eleven and a half million dollars for a diamond, mm-hmm. eh, you know. Yeah. But how they all started out with this enormous wealth. And then by the time they get rid of the diamond, they're broke. Yeah. So I find that that's, I mean, you know, and these are, these are people that had been wealthy. It's not like you said with the lottery where they just, okay, wham, they go from being broke to they have all this wealth, kind of like, um, you know, celebrities, you oh, know, yeah. how often, or, sports, you know, sports figures. or musicians, bands and stuff like that. Like they, they're normal average people with bills and then suddenly they're thrust into being a celebrity and they get all this money. And then a year or two later, you see where their house is being seized and auctioned off and they're broke. Yeah, And what you're saying is we're not dealing with that. You're not dealing with this. Yeah. These are people that their money goes back and back, you know, usually in the family. Yeah. So they were born into wealth and yeah. they had been wealthy their whole life. And then they get the, the Hope Diamond and then... Broke. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess besides how whether how well they manage their money or not, the idea, the main idea now in the in the story of the Hope Diamond would be that it's a curse of not only death but loss of fortune and loss and of everything, loss of everything, and one person's you know sanity and stuff like that. So, yeah. so the curse is prevalent throughout all these times in taking both your health and riches. Yeah, that's that's the idea behind. The curse, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the most tragic cases, though, is that of um, the the Parisian jeweler Simon Rosenau, was it? Yeah. And because there was quite a bit on that of how he just like there were pictures taken before, and he was fine and happy, and then the next thing you know, he's loading up the family and driving them off a cliff. 
you know, like... Yeah, that is that is very interesting. Very, I mean, very tragic. Yeah, if not anything but tragic, I mean... Yeah, and then, and then the whole Evelyn Walsh McLean, which, like I said, next to Marie Antoinette, Evelyn Walsh McLean, um, who was a socialite in Washington, D.C., very well known, um, and just how much of her life was marked in tragedy. I mean, just, you know, losing a son, losing a daughter um, in, you know, terrible ways, and then her husband cheating and then going crazy. It's just, you know, yeah, it would kind of beg to ask, like, you know, and then in her later years, she, you know, proclaimed that, you know, all my bad luck was because of that damn diamond. So it kind of begs the question of, well, why didn't you get rid of it sooner? You know? No, that's true. I mean, I guess if you've come to that conclusion at the end, did you have any inc- inclination that it was causing it in the middle? Yeah, like <laughs> when did it really kick in that yeah. she's like, Rrr? you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, You know what I just found? What? List of supposed cases of ill fortune. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. I got it. I can read it all the way through. Uh, this was from the New York Times article in 1911. So here we go. The list of... Uh, very few confirmed, but the list of the supposed happenings with the Hope Diamond curse. We have Jacques Collette uh, bought the Hope Diamond from Simon Frankel and committed suicide. Prince Ivan Kenatovsky bought it from Collette, but was killed by a Russian revolutionist. Uh, Kenatovsky loaned it to Mila Ledoux, hopefully I said that right, who was murdered by her sweetheart. <gasps> Simon Menchinarides? Menchinarides? Uh, who once sold it to the Turkish Sultan, was thrown from a precipice along with his wife and young child. Oh, my God. Sultan Hamid gave it to Abu Sabir to polish, but later Sabir was imprisoned and tortured. Stone guardian Kalub Bey was hanged by a mob in Turkey. A Turkish attendant named Havir Aga was hanged for having it in his possession. Tavernier, who bought the stone from India to Paris, was torn to pieces by wild dogs in Constantinople. Uh, King Louis gave it to Madame de Montespan, who later he whom he later abandoned. Nicholas Fourcroix, um, an intendant of France, borrowed it temporarily to wear, but it was disgraced. Oh, but he was disgraced and died in prison. Uh, temporary wearer, wearer, Princess de Lambelle, was torn to pieces by a French mob. Uh, I think that was her, the the handmaiden of. Uh, oh, yeah, Marie Antoinette. And she was she was torn apart, disemboweled, and I don't remember what else they did to her. Jeweler William Falls, who recut the stone, died a ruined man. William Falls' son, Hendrick, stole the jewel from his father and later committed suicide. Some years after Hendrick, it was sold to Francis Delieu, who died in misery and want, it said. So that was up until 1911. So even until 1911. Pretty bad history there. Yes. And... And everything you read, though, comes around to the idea of, especially in this time period, of exploration, of discovery from a Western world's viewpoint of curses. Yeah. Okay? Like we have said before with the curse of Tutankhamun, from what we understand, and if you look at the the mentality of that era of those 200 years, say, um, going into these Indiana Jones-like you know, situations where you're going into the heart of Africa, the heart of India, of the places lesser known or lesser explored by the Western world, these curses kind of come with it because all these ancient things are being disturbed. 
Yeah. So that's kind of like uh, the superstitious Western mind as well. So if you ever look into the Hope Diamond, you very well may find all these things, all these mm, situations that may have been, may or may not have been caused by the Hope Diamond. But just remember that it is possibly a product of the time, of this time. Yeah. A bit being that the, like I said, the reverence for, and it's funny too because it's like a duality of reverence and destruction because. Yeah, there is this reverence of, of a certain side of people saying that stuff shouldn't be touched, thus the curse happens. And then you have the explorers who go out and continually take things from tombs and, and yeah. caves and reliquaries and stuff like that. So um, I did happen upon, even though we freaking researched it, I did happen upon uh, the statue that I was from. And this is on freaking Wikipedia. So I kick myself because anybody could go on Wikipedia and find find information. We try not to use Wikipedia, and it's not necessarily we can't even say it's out of laziness because no, the common viewpoint is laziness would be to go Wikipedia to Wikipedia. Is is that anybody can go in and put in any quote facts? Yeah, that they want to, and that's kind of why we don't initially yeah. really even look at it. I'll sometimes I'll sometimes use it as I like do. a like a base, like yeah, a base a reference, guideline and outline, and then kind of go back and research other stuff. But it says here, um, according to sp- specious, spacious, that's a weird word. Accounts in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, the original form of the Hope Diamond was stolen from an eye of a sculpted statue of the goddess Sita, wife of Rama, the seventh avatar of Vishnu. However, much like the curse of Tutankhamun, this general type of legend was most likely the invention of the Western authors during the Victorian era. So right right inside the Wikipedia page as well. So to say, let me let me just stop. How do you view this situation? How do you view the the curse, the quote unquote curse of the Hope Diamond? Um, you mean like do I believe in it or sure. yeah, sure. Um yeah, yeah, I do. I think anytime that you Take something that's, um, I don't want to say revered, but um, yeah, I think like anytime you, it would be kind of like going to a cemetery, right? And on someone's grave is, I don't know, you know how some people look put like bottles of liquor or, you know, it's like gifts or whatever. So, okay, so someone goes to a cemetery and they see this bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever sitting on a grave. Now, if they take that, do you think there's going to be some kind of bad uh, juju that is going to befall them because they did that? Oh, are you, is this that's a, kind of what I'm saying. Okay. It's kind of the same thing. Like you've taking something that has been given to, I don't want to say the dead, but to these spiritual gods or these yeah. spiritual energies, mm-hmm. and then you've taken it with the intent of, I'm going to go sell this and make some money. Yeah. You know, I think anytime you do something like that, like, yeah, you're going to bring bad juju onto yourself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the one thing that I found interesting is, well, first off, the whole Harry Winston taking it and putting it in a envelope and mailing it. Yeah. I think is just sheer genius. Why? Well, because, like, I think that's just, I mean, but anything could have happened to it. I'm surprised it didn't. Why, why was it genius? I don't know. I just think that's, you know, for $145, you insure it for a million dollars. And it gets there safe and sound. Huh. Well, I guess not from the mailman's viewpoint, but... Yeah, because what do we say about him? But why did... Yeah, because he was... Uh, had his leg mangled and... Yeah, and a he- severe head injury, and then his house burnt down. You know, but old Harry Winston got off scot-free. You know, it's like, how does... I don't know, like, it seems like there's some kind of... um, 
like intelligent thought process going on there with this diamond. Do you think that that with an item that is constantly in the public eye that that every little thing is is tracked on it so then it makes it seem a lot worse oh, oh it's because of the curse yeah yeah like, probably yeah i mean look at look at the the change you carry on with you every day i mean i we've had i've i've found pennies from 1960 or something that yeah like why don't they have older. bad juju but well what well, the thing is is like or you don't, do they you don't track them yeah, that's what I'm saying. Or do they? So say you pick up this penny, you're walking along, you, oh, here's a 1960s penny, pick it up, put it in your pocket. And then two days later, your dog dies. Yeah. Or, I mean, is it because that penny was Yeah. Th- does any dude? Does any little mundane thing you have on you in everyday life, or does anybody have on them, have some type of curse on it? But since it's not tracked, it's not in a public eye, yeah. you would never really know about it. You would never know. Yeah. That's totally playing into the fact that anything could be cursed on this level for for me personally i would say it goes not as much as because i don't like the word cursed you know to me it's like bad energy though you know so like you know like with this penny so i'm just going to use the penny thing so say say the person that had this penny before you was severely depressed or angry or whatever and they had this penny in their pocket so the penny kind of absorbed this negative energy and then you get the penny. Do you see what I mean? So now you've kind of inherited that bad energy into you into your space. Mm. That's kind of more how I view this as being. Mm. That makes sense with the kind of work that you do. Yeah. I mean, is there would there be any way to combat that if you don't know where the energy is coming from? Um, do you necessarily have to know the source? I pers- I mean, now a lot of people tell you this, and this is like a constant mm. in my work. But for me, it doesn't matter because it's all about energy. It's more scientific and less about woo-woo. You know what I mean? So if you like, you know, I say all the time, but if you're having negative activity in your your house, in your area or whatever, the only way to really get rid of it is to change the energy vibration that's going on in the house, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're having a bad haunting or something, a negative energy, the energy vibe in your house is like way down here. Right. Mm -hmm. So to combat this, you start doing anything that is positive, you know, listen to happy music, um, meditate, um, watch a funny movie. Anything that you do that is going to bring happiness or positive energy in is going to raise up the vibration in your space. So in doing that, you're making it uncomfortable for any negative energies that are there because they can't use that positive energy. So does that energy become sentient at any point? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of times, like people who, um, now this takes years, but people who are um, angry, um, severe depression, any negative emotion like that that you hold on for a prolonged period of time can actually kind of like separate from you and be like its own little negative blob going, kind of, yeah, moving, moving, you know, every time I say that, I think of in Ghostbusters, Slimer. Yeah. Like, you're just gonna, like, yeah, just, like, boop, and there he is, and then he just kind of goes on his merry way until he can attach to somebody, you know, which probably even you, um, to suck energy from. Like, me, me in particular? Well, maybe. I got, like, a bunch of spiritual tumors just hanging off me. Could be. I just, I'm just... (laughs) One big tumor farm. One of big negative tumor. S- spiritual grossness. <laughs> so I've been telling your dad that for years. In in cases like that, then with something as p- 
perceivably as big as the Cursed Hope Diamond, where, where or how can you stop that from happening? The the curse, the negative, whatever that's surrounding it. Let it stay at the museum, (laughs) because the amount of I mean, you probably could, but the amount of negative juju, it's like the Robert the Doll thing. Mm. It, it's just carrying so much negative energy that you would need an extreme amount of positive energy or like, I picture like 10 people in a circle around Robert the Doll just kind of being all positive and, you know, kumbaya, my lord, you know, I don't know. Are you suggesting a drum circle around Robert the Doll? I'm not. I'm not gonna get in on it. Oh. I'm just gonna say that. Because, you know, it's Robert. He's he just to get me again. he just murders every one of them drummers. Oh God, it's terrifying. <laughs> oh, so so, I mean, we could sit here and we can rehash everything that we had said in the narrative, and we can rehash all the list of people that have perceivably been touched negatively by this thing. But uh, we've now come to where it sits what you just said was in in the in the museum it's in the smithsonian i believe you could see it probably right, right next to robert no i'm just kidding <laughs> like robert's in florida yeah key west key west yeah. uh it's in it's in plain view right they don't have it like on any schedule of no no viewing. it's just yeah it's like on a little podium kind yeah. of thing so in a box uh bulletproof glass mm. Yeah. So if you get the chance too with with the with the ooh, with the smithsonian i believe it's a free museum uh, that to I get, don't know. To get into, I think. I think they have shows and stuff that you that you can pay to get into, but I believe the Smithsonian is like a collection of different buildings, and I believe that you can get in for free. I would love to go there. Wouldn't you love to go there? We should uh, do that sometime. Besides the traffic in D.C. Well, yeah. But oh, yeah. Traffic in D.C. is horrible. If you get like anything north yeah. of D.C. on the East Coast, you're just asking for trouble. Well, it's, it would just, we'll make Daryl drive. Oh, yeah. You know, that way, if anything bad happens, we can blame it on Daryl. Daryl did drive that one van that we had owned in West Virginia. Yeah. Remember yeah. that one? Oh, yeah. Where it was dead as summer, and some genius had caulked all the windows closed in the van. Oh, we about died. Oh, yeah. We had to go. <laughs> no air conditioning. We about died. As best a West Virginia story, you could tell we had to stop at like a dollar store to get steak knives. We were to dropping like flies. <laughs> to cut out this caulk. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was terrible. God, so we're hillbillies. Darryl, we're such hillbillies. Daryl is driving us to Washington, D.C. All right, so do you have anything else on, nope, on nope, the Hope Diamond? Nope, nope, that's it. That's it. If you have anything on the Hope Diamond that you would like to add, did we, you thought we missed or anything like that, uh, head on over to our Facebook page, give us a like, give us a follow, and tell us uh, something that you'd like to add to it. We also have a Facebook group. We have a couple Facebook groups. Now, let's go into that a little oh, bit. Oh, yes. Go ahead and, and describe to some of our... Um, audio listeners kind of the the setup we have now that you've kind of assembled uh on facebook we have uh two separate i don't want to say groups but two separate um offerings we have the supernatural tendencies tv page which is nothing but live shows um related to paranormal topics so there will there is uh paranormal investigations um we have shows that are ghost stories, people telling ghost stories. Uh, we have, I'm actually um, going to be, when am I starting that? Next week. Uh, Monday, actually, Monday. Um, I will be doing a, a live video show on there. Um, Yourself? Myself. And oh, okay. I totally forget the name of it. 
The other side. The other side. The yep. other side, where I talk about my um, a little bit, some of my exp- my personal experiences and what you can do to kind of explore um, if you yourself are having or you think you have um, had extraterrestrial contact, visitation, anything like that, or if you are someone who is having a haunting, having a negative energy in your space, and you want to know what you can do to get rid of it. So that will be Mondays on the Supernatural Tendencies TV page. And you can find all kinds of um, really cool live shows on there. And then to go with that, of course, we have our Supernatural Tendencies podcast, which is us. Yay. Uh, And then we have the Supernatural Tendencies group, which is all kinds of stories, um, everything under the paranormal realm. And then we also have the Mystical Arts podcast. TV page and correlating group. And that is basically psychic readings, um, tarot card readings, finding out about tarot. Uh, For those of you that are interested in all things witchy, we have quite a few programs or live shows on there um, for that. So it's really just anything under the psychic development, spiritual development Mm -hmm. umbrella. Let Let me simplify that a little bit. So that you got some examples of this she gave you, but essentially we have the all audio form from where this started of the Supernatural Tendencies podcast. We have our accompanying Facebook page for this podcast, and then we have a little group that we have called the Supernatural Tendencies group where you could just get along with like-minded people and kind of talk about spooky yeah, things and interact stuff. with us personally. Yep, and then furthermore, we ha- now have part of our media production side. We have uh, two split groups, two split pages of content if you would be interested. We have one, uh, which is the Supernatural tendencies tv page which is going to be more um ghost cryptids anything like that all live shows that people put live shows on and you can watch these live shows all of them have different subjects and then on the flip side of that we have the mystical arts tv which is more spiritual side um we have uh like you had said we have some some people doing some some more uh witchy things i think we have yeah we have one uh, an energy he's an energy he works with auras an energy worker yep really cool he does white bear White Bear, White Bear. Stephen White go. Bear tur- Turbot. Yep, and I'm sorry, right? I should have had these up before I did this promo, but this was kind of like an like a an in the moment promo that we're doing for everything. But we we have a bunch of different people, so me saying just calling White Bear out specifically is kind of mean because I don't know all the names of everybody yet. Oh we're, yeah, they're we're, all amazing. We're growing very fast. So yes, twofold promo here. If you would be interested in in listening or watching any of those, please look those up on Facebook. On the flip side, if you happen to have anything that you do, whether or not it's related to extraterrestrial stories, uh, cryptids or on the other side as well, like spirituality, witchiness, anything like that, and you would like to do a live show for us, please give us give us an email, um, give us a Facebook message, anything like that. Yeah, we will get, a get hold you of involved. Us. You can even go into our um, either of the correlating groups and you know throw a post up on the wall there. Yep, do get any pages. way you can. Uh, we all, we do have an opening casting call, if you will, of anybody who would like to do a show, maybe a 20-minute live show every week. Uh, we try to give um, everybody kind of a day, and you can kind of pick a time. Time, are kind of, time is kind of more open because we have people from all over the world interested in doing these shows. Yeah. So just because one, quote-unquote, 2 o'clock is taken in Tennessee is a different 2 o'clock, obviously, yeah, in, yeah. in Perth, Australia. So And I do want to say, too, that as a... a um because we appreciate our members so much and the people that are doing shows for us. They're just amazing. Um, But I am working on a new website now. So everyone that is doing live shows will have their own 
page on our new upcoming website. Yeah. So that if you watch the shows and you're like, oh, well, I really like Susie or I really like John's show, you can go to our website and click on them and find out all about them. So I think that's going to be really cool. It is. It's it's like I said to like, well, like I said before, uh, it's growing very fast and we're getting a lot of attention from everybody. So if you'd like to jump on board with this either way, uh, yeah, check it out. Let us know and uh, tell us what you think. Feedback for us right now is a huge thing. I mean, we do we do this podcast, which is kind of what started a lot of this other stuff. But getting the feedback, I mean, we're we're open for the, all the negative. If you, want, if you just want to rip us a new one telling us, oh, your production is terrible. As long as you tell me why and how I can make it better, I'm yeah. totally open for it. But as of right now, we've had very little feedback. So if you happen to hear this, give this podcast to a friend. Even if they don't like podcasts, give it to them. Tell them it's a radio show and we're asking for feedback. Let's get some unbiased feedback in there, too. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? So Wait, please... You- Pass this around. We're up to an estimated uh, listenership across our podcast platforms of about 50. Um, We got just a shade over 600 listens, 650 listens, and only two comments regarding the content. So let us know. If you like it, tell us you like it, sure. But what do you like about it? If you don't like it, the same applies. Please tell us you hate it. uh, You never want to listen to it again. And this is why. Tell me, because if not, I will never know what we need to work on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'll say that we have amazing fans. The people that support us and listen to us, we can never thank you enough for your support. And I'll start it right now by saying thank you. Yes, thank you. But, you know, when we started out, this was just going to be a fun thing to do because we really love um, these topics. And we just wanted to get on and and share... um, our love for these topics, basically. We never expected it to to blow up into everything that it's blown up into and so fast. So, yeah, like Alex said, um, if you have any critiques, any comments, um, let us know. We'd love to hear that feedback from you. Yep. I think we can cut that promo off now. That's a long promo. <laughs> Unless you had something else you want to add. No, I'm done. Okay. I'm done because I'm out of coffee. Oh, you're right. Anytime I run out of coffee, I'm just done. That's done. All right. So I think they will call it fine right there. All righty. We'd like to say thank you one more time for hopping on board with us this week. If you have any comments, questions, critiques, or suggestions for new topics, please send us an email at supernaturaltendenciespodcast at gmail.com. We also encourage you to get over to our Facebook page at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast. And go ahead and elbow drop that like button for us. We're also available on Instagram at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and Twitter at Weird and Scary, if that's more to your liking. Please pass us around to your friends as well, where they can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. And remember, if you're having any type of paranormal activity or extraterrestrial contact. I offer private coaching online via Skype or Facebook Messenger to assist you with those issues. Feel free to visit me at christyjohnsonsadler.com for contact information. Till next time, this has been Alex and Christy. See you later.
All right, and as per usual, that scare you? You scared the crap out of me. <laughs> as per usual, our musician spotlight, which I it has grown to become so close to my heart that I think about it nonstop. Um, this is our second week where we don't have a purely metal band, which is awesome. Yeah. Because I love metal. Metal is what I do. But that's not the point of this musician spotlight. So we have our second Variety. round now of not necessarily metal, right? So this week we have Electro Cult Circus, which I believe is out of Columbus. Um, we do have like this area we keep hitting in our immediate vicinity here. So if anybody else has any friends that are in out of state, we don't necessarily do just Ohio and Michigan. We we will take bands from everywhere. We just we don't want it to be like a national touring on the radio act kind of thing. They already got their thing started. So with Electro Cult Circus. Um, I had let you listen to the song they gave us, which is called Gold, Golden Ghost. And we were hard-pressed to really be able to define it. Yeah, like it as in the sounds genre. familiar, but then I just can't place it. As in a genre. Yeah. And upon looking uh, at their about on their Facebook page, they sum it up as best as I can, as best as they can, as best as anyone can, because it's a very interesting sound. And the first genre they put is non-genre. So okay. which is great. So yep, that's it. That's number one. They also put elect- electrofusion and nerd rock. Um, this is a very interesting concept for a band because unless I'm mistaken, and they will let me know. Hopefully, if I am mistaken afterwards, I won't be able to correct it. But it's almost like a bur- burlesque show along with a band. Super unique. Yeah. So I don't know if they do like a burlesque show during their set or if it's kind of a split thing that sometimes they do music, sometimes they do this burlesque show. Huh. But all the pictures that they have on their Facebook are super interesting and super fun. Uh, they've got like a million members, so they cover the gambit of just about any any kind of, of instrument. But if you'd like to catch ECC, I believe I've seen on their show listings, they have one Coming up in Columbus, I believe December 9th. Let me double check that. December 9th at the Rambling House there in Columbus. And I think I just seen like an hour ago as of this recording, they had posted another show with Green Jelly uh, at the oh, Shrunken wow. Head. Do you remember that band, Green yeah. Jelly? It was the first, uh, and we're going to sidetrack from ECC, sorry guys, uh, of Green Jelly being Green Jello initially. And it was the first music video that I remember seeing as a child. The Three Little Pigs. Three Little Pigs, yeah. It was like half, it was, well, it wasn't half, it was all claymation. Yeah. And a fantastic song. So, uh, great job for ECC with getting on on that bill. That's pretty sweet. So, if you you are interested in this kind of, um, kind of alternative kind of stuff, you'll hear it here in a second. I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, please check them out. They do have a Facebook page as per usual. I will put some uh, pictures and some links to their stuff um, for this uh, episode in the episode show notes. Get a hold of them any way you can. Uh, run, skip, roll, push your grandma out of the car and drive down and see uh, ECC play. Again, they have given us a golden ghost for our segment today, and we're going to lay it down right now. Get you, we 
knives in our sharp teeth We've come to slit your throat 